McNulty's done incredibly well to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, scores yeah. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They've won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Poppy fans and welcome to PO4 Cast episode 48. Well we've got an absolute monster episode today, we've got loads to cover and I promise this will be much more exciting than the Gilliam game. Joining me today is Freddie Webb returning to the show. Freddie, how are you mate? How's it going Hugh, how are you? I'm doing yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, I'm not too bad, not too bad. I'm excited for the show, um, much more excited than I was watching the Gilliam game. Oh, I was as well. I'm, re- I'm really excited to go over a lot of things. I literally just woke up from a nap about an hour ago. I tried to watch the extended highlights of the Jills game and fell asleep. So, <laughs> not <laughs> surprised, mate. If that says it all, I don't know what does. <laughs> mate, that definitely does sum it up pretty well. So, in a minute, me and uh, Freddie are going to go over the Gilliam game. Following that, we've got some exclusive content. Um, Lee Roberts, friend of the show, commentator at Bognor Regis, host of Bognor Regis, face of Bognor Regis, um, has done some really good um, interview content with uh, Bradley Lethbridge. Obviously, he's got his Pompey account off, uh, up and running even. Um, and then he's gone and spoken to um, Liam Dyche as well, Pompey coach, um, just talking about Pompey's performance against Bournemouth and, you know, the young players as such and how we're developing them in the team. Following that, we're going to um, get some of your uh, listener questions in as well, which has been, the response has been absolutely awesome, guys. Really appreciate it. And um, we're just going to try and work out how we can get some more creativity into the team. And then finally, we're going to be previewing the Wimbledon game. Freddie, a lot to cover, mate. Absolutely. Let's go for it. Let's get it done, shall we? Let's go. Let's just get straight into it. Gillingham, it wasn't the most exciting of games, was it? And it was just one of those games that, I think can just be forgotten, but there's lessons to be learned, isn't there? <clears throat> there's no way you can forget. Well, in one sense, you can't forget about this game because it, sh- it again, it showed a problem, which is well, since since Kenny Jackett's been the manager, it shows a problem of the lack of creativity and the and the the inability to break down two banks of four, which with the with the creative players we have, that's ridiculous. It should Portsmouth sort of surely should learn how to break down two banks of four when a team comes to Fratton Park and defence like, defense like that and offers pretty much nothing go, going forward. Their XG was 0.2, which for people who don't know, don't know advanced stats that's well, that, that they've offered fuck all going forward. Absolutely nothing. And the fact that we didn't get more than a nil-nil draw out of that game is pretty unacceptable, really. No, it's absolutely unacceptable. Let's go over the short amount of highlights for Pompey as such, mainly coming in the first half. Mm. Evans had a shot from outside the box that the keeper got down well, I think, to, to push it away. Close again, he had a he had a shot as well. Again, the keeper gets down to his right. The ball doesn't quite fall for Ellis Harrison to tap it in. At that point, Freddie, were you thinking maybe we can squeeze a goal out? 
Pretty much, yeah. After after those first initial highlights, Ellis Harrison's played really well. Many people looked at the signing and thought, "Well, why have we signed Ellis Harrison when we just bought John Marquis for two million? What what place in the team does he have?" But whenever he's played for Portsmouth, he's played he's played reasonably okay. Got himself about, managed to take on defenders really well. Excellent superiority in the the air, which helps with how Portsmouth play. Yeah, he, he's played really well. And from the first half, it looked very positive that Portsmouth would get all three points. No, completely. And talking about Ellis Harrison's superiority in the air, um, only Sean Raggett, who got 18 um, aerial duels won in the game <coughs> against Gillingham, Ellis Harrison followed him with 12 um, headers won against the opposition, uh, which is pretty incredible considering when you scroll down later from that, there isn't another attacking player um, with more than three or four aerial duels won in the team. That's crucial for Pompey with the with the uh, with the the main focus being on crossing, and obviously that gets people rolled up and me rolled up sometimes. Portsmouth have to keep winning those aerial duel, duels, winning those offensive duels, and having Ellis Harris in the team works out really well. One thing I'd say about Sean Raggett is I'm really pleased with his performances. When I first saw him, like many people, I thought, "Why have we got him on loan? Really to to replace Matt Clark? Really?" But defensively, since his earlier mistakes. He's, he's got down and worked really hard in the train, training ground, I assume. And him and Christian Burgess look like the set-up centre-back half-partnership for, for the future now. No, definitely. And do you know what? I thought that I made a massive blunder because I was fairly high on Raggett coming into the season. Um, spoken to the guys from Norwich and spoken to the lads I know at Rotherham and you know, previewed him as could be, possibly be one of the best um, centre-backs in the league, is mm-hmm. what I was told, if he can stay fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, and then he, I thought, what have I said? No, no, he wasn't fit. And I just thought, oh, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, you've done that thing when you go big, and you're sort of thinking, oh, I'm, I've, you know, I've looked at the stats, I've spoken to play, you know, um, spoken to guys from the other former clubs, and spoken <laughs> to some Lincoln guys, and I'm, I'm riding yeah. high on him. And then suddenly, he looked absolutely <laughs> shocking. But yeah, against, he, against Coventry and Burton, he was oh, woeful. woeful it was awful in those games. Absolutely awful. But he's. He's bounced back, isn't he? And, and I'm hoping this is the, the true Sean Raggett because dominant in the air, as we said. And also, he had a chance, didn't he? Not just at the back, but going forward and was unlucky to score against Gillingham. Yeah, very unlucky. It was a, <clears throat> it was a very good header, actually. It, only an inch the other way and it would have nestled in the bottom corner. And you've got to say, it was a good ball from Gareth Evans from the left, a sort of an in-swinging ball, wasn't it? Very, very much so. The, uh, P- Pompey's crossing, in terms of crossing accuracy, is usually quite good. Hang on, I've got it here Pompey's crossing accuracy depending on what sort of cross it is genuinely is quite good if I can find the paint I should have had this up earlier but since Pompey rely on crossing so much those accuracy stats have to be up there but still even even so you see many games where even if the crossing accuracy is really high it's the wrong sort of ball or it's very one-dimensional going forward. And that was basically the epitome of this game, wasn't it? Especially after Sean Raggett hit the post and into the second half, Pompey were very one-dimensional going forward. It just didn't help them at all. Absolutely. And I was talking to you um, before we started recording about uh, looking at the heat map for the game. And that just shows you um, on, on a sort of a visual basis of you know where Pompey were able to have possession uh, on the pitch. 
And so blue basically shows an area of the pitch where we didn't manage to get any sustained pressure. And it's this huge blue wave, which basically covers the whole of the Gillingham box and, you know, further a little bit further out as well. It just shows that for all the possession we had, we were just completely ineffective, weren't we, going forward? We've rated very little, very little. I think <clears throat> partially that has to do with the scheme fit we played and the formation. Going back to the crossing accuracy, I actually found it. Ports were eighth in the league for crossing accuracy in league games with 36.4%. That, that's considering the amount of crossing Pompey do. Ports were uh, first in the league for the amount of crosses. That's really good. That That is pleasing. But again, in this game, it was it was insipid. It was passive. It, 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 nothing about that game made me think Portsmouth have, on paper, some of the best creative players in the league with Marcus Harness, with John Marquis, for example. It's just the scheme, the scheme fit is the main issue. And we'll, we'll, go on, we'll go on about that later in the second half when John Marquis comes on and how Ben Close was utilised as well. Yeah, and then you look at the overall stats in the game. Well, I think what, one thing that's really telling when you're thinking about penetrating another team, no pun intended, is that you look at you know successful dribbles in the game. Pompey actually only only made ten successful dribbles in total across the team, so that's only one dribble per player on the pitch. Um, obviously, it doesn't work out like that. John Marquis got three of those successful dribbles. Gareth Evans got two, and Marcus Harness got two. It's, John it's very wasn't, telling. Yeah. He it's, wasn't it's, even on the pitch, was he, for most of the games? So, yeah, shocking, mate. Yeah, that was the most telling thing. <clears throat> John Marcus having the most dribbles. Not even. Did he have forty-five minutes? Was he subbed on at half time, or was he subbed on a bit later? I can't remember. Can't remember off the top of my head, mate. No, <laughs> but he, but he had, he had less than forty-five minutes, and that. <sighs> Partially, that could be down to player confidence. But I, I think to a certain extent, that's due to the manager not telling the players, play, uh, attend the players to cross first rather than dribble. In the Burton game, yeah. if, you, if you remember Gareth Evans' interview after the Burton game, he said that literally all they were told to do in the second half was build, build it up in the middle, play to the right wing for the deep cross, which eventually worked. But for half an hour or so, that's all Portsmouth were doing. Just that right wing cross, bending away from goal over and over and over again, and then teams know how to defend against that after the first couple of minutes if that's all the team does. Yeah, exactly. And then, then, then if you mix that in with the fact that when we are dribbling forward, we look so flat, don't we? There's no, there's no overlap or you know clever movement in the middle to create space. Or yeah, you're know, right. It's the it's the. It, the, the complete lack of movement off the ball is what kills this team going forward. I yeah. was at the Doncaster game and I thought we were beyond lucky to get three points in that game. Just the inability to to pass out from the back. But it was the movement. Obviously, people complain that, oh, it's all hoof ball. It's not all hoof ball, but they revert to type. They revert to the hoof ball simply because the players aren't moving. There was a clip that I put in an article where Burgess had the ball for about... 30 seconds because they recycled it around the back between the back four and nobody in front of him was moving. So he had to put the long ball to Brett Pittman. And then obviously every time you do that, you usually give possession away. It's frustrating to watch, honestly. It is frustrating. And despite what people think as well about Brett Pittman being able to win headers, he's actually been fairly ineffective in the air at winning any sort of aerial duels um, of recent, recent times, unlike Ellis Harrison, for, for instance. Mm. 
what what I do think is interesting though is if we're only actually succeeding in this game at least on fifty percent of those dribbles that we try to attempt, um, mm. which just shows how flat we are going forward. But let's just move on a little bit. <clears throat> Lee Brown had an opportunity at the end, didn't he, um, to score? John Marquez thought you should have squared it to him. What was your thoughts on that? Well, he should have squared it to him, uh, uh, but it was that chance was also quite unlucky. If 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 Marquez started his run a tiny bit earlier, he might have got a foot onto it. But no, but no, it was obvious that Lee, Lee Brown went for the cross there instead of squaring it, which is a shame. But consi- considering the performance earlier, Pompey didn't really deserve three points out of that game. If I listened to the game on Talk Sport while I was on the train up north, and David Connolly. David Connolly's quote hit the nail on the head in the first half. They said, this is Pompey's game to the taking if they're more creative off the ball. If they're more creative off the ball, then Portsmouth would have been fine and would have cruised that game completely. But no, it was an insipid nil-nil draw instead. Completely. And there's no point having 70% possession if you're not going to do anything with it, is there? Precisely. No, possession's one of those stats. Is to You have to interpret what else, what you're doing with the possession. It's all well and good, again, in this game, having 70% possession. But with the lack of creativity Ports have had, it was a waste, a waste completely. Uh, I've got the direct quote from Connolly, which I noted down, if you want to hear that. He basically said, yeah. if Ports have more composure on the ball, the game is there for the taking. And that sums up the entire game for me. No, completely. Yeah, we'll try not to get too mad about it, but because I am pretty pretty Emphasis on the word try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... All it is, is it's just trying to break down and understand why. And it seems pretty clear for, you know, everyone at Fratton Park watching it, um, us guys analysing it the, the next week and stuff, that the system that we're playing is completely wrong and is not working. Oh, the system is terrible, honestly. This is, in my opinion, the worst the worst system we've played all season. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I talked about the 4-4-2 against Doncaster. People were clambering for the 4-4-2 and to a certain extent it worked even away from home with two with two up front yeah there were obviously some caveats and Portsmouth didn't really deserve the three points but the 4-4-2 was positive the 4-3-3 with McCrory close and Naylor at centre midfield I really liked but but I don't think Jacket's ever going to play that again considering in those games we weren't getting the results because of individual errors Mm -hmm. so so he's again using this phrase he's reverted to type He's reverted to his comfortable 4-2-3-1 or what it should have been, even though we don't really have an attacking midfielder. And it's frustrating when the formation doesn't fit the players we have and it takes Jacket a couple of games before he realises, oh, this isn't working. I'm going to have to chop and change it again. Do you think, uh, do you know what, we'll come into this a bit later because we've got quite a few people who have messaged in and questioned about the formation, what we change, etc. and go into it. And I've got quite a few thoughts on, you know, why maybe Kenny Jacket is doing what he's doing. But let's go into something more positive quickly. Um, so as I said, Lee Roberts down at Bognor has um, had an interview with Bradley Lethbridge after the game. Uh, against the Bournemouth reserves, it was a pretty young team for Pompey to put out there against a pretty strong under-23s team um, against Bournemouth. Um, sadly lost 2-1, but it was a strong performance. So let's hear what Bradley had to say about it. Bradley Lefferis now joins us. Bradley, you've scored today. What did you think of your overall performance today against a strong Bournemouth side? I thought that my performance was good. I held the ball up, um, running in behind. I thought we had a very young team out uh, against 
their under-23s team, obviously, they train together, play together all the time, whereas we just basically just put a team together to play against them. I thought we'd done really well. And coming into the game, you've obviously had the experience in the first team against Oxford. How much did that impress you, that you were able to break into that game and the squad and get a goal? Um, yeah, I was really impressed with that. It was good feeling to score my first senior goal. So um, I'm happy. And how much do you owe the start at Oxford to Bognor Regis? You played regularly with Robin Blake and Jack Bierce. Um Yeah, well, being sent out on loan at Bognor has helped me a lot. Um, this is an experience of men's football. And I think it's progressing. I think my I'm, I'm improving, so it's working well. Uh, another goal for Portsmouth, two goal in two. Do you think it was a start of a good run? Well, I hope so. Um, <laughs> just got to keep scoring goals when when I'm playing. Hopefully, can score a couple for Bognor in the coming weeks as well. Um, more games coming up for Portsmouth, so just happy to get on the score sheet. Got top of the table, Folkestone, this weekend. How did you go about that following last weekend's 4-0 defeat to Portsmouth Bar? Um, well, I think the scoreline last week doesn't reflect on how well we actually played. I thought we played really well. It was just a couple of stupid errors which cost us the game so I think if we just carry on and continue what we, we, were, we were doing then we should be alright And if any of the players in the Portsmouth youth team squad that played today came to you and said what's the difference between the men's football that you play regularly in our level what would you say to them? I'd say it's a bit more physical um, obviously playing in the youth team in my first year uh, I noticed that teams like to keep the ball a lot whereas in men's football it's not going like up and down all the time people putting big tackles in and everyone wants to win well Bradley thank you for coming to speak to us cheers cheers well thanks again there to Lee Roberts for doing the interview with Bradley Leftbridge it's much appreciated again Lee um yeah cheers mate so <clears throat> moving on on to what you think about it Freddie, Bray Lethbridge, he's a player that I've interviewed in the past down at Bognor Regis. He sounds to me like he's come on, he, you know, not just as a striker, he's scoring on the pitch. He got the goal against Oxford um, the other day in his first, you know, his first pro goal, isn't it, for Pompey? And mm -hmm. he seems to be progressing on and off the pitch, you know, as a person as well. He's sort Ab of, yeah, yeah. you Ab go for it, mate. Absolutely. Well, well, you, you know more about Bradley Le Brad Lethbridge than I do, but it's great to see that he... It, it's great to see that really with um since Portsmouth don't really have an under 23 team it was essentially a cobbled together team against uh, against the Premier League's youth team and to play as well as they did I read the report in the Bognor Observer and Portsmouth played really well they uh, they didn't look out of place and it's great for uh, it, the main thing I got from that interview was the confidence that Bradley Leftwich had and saying the, uh, these are the things I did really well in the game there were some things I didn't, but but the team got together and that's what you want from your youth players. You want them to have confidence and also the, the leniency to make mistakes and make them reflect on the performances they've had. And no, those players will only improve from there, won't they? Absolutely. And one of the questions that Lee put to him was, um, you know, how do you feel getting sent out on loan has helped you? Um, and he said, you know, being sent out on loans helped me a lot. Um, it's an experience of men's football. I'm progressing um, mm. and hoping that translates. I think this is something that when I spoke to him and Joe Dandy um, and Dan Smith before he was sadly released, and I don't know why they 
club decided to release him, but we'll get on from that. It is a completely different kettle of fish playing youth football to transferring that and playing competitive men's football, isn't it? Oh, completely. Yeah, every almost every interview I hear from ex-players or current youth team players, the main bit of advice they have for youngsters is to get out of their comfort zone and do what's hard. It's very hard, for example, if a, play, a player, all they've known is a certain academy, and then for the, the club to go, oh, we want you to get some first-team experience now. We'll loan you to a National League North or South side or even lower to get that experience of men's football. And obviously the physicality of it is compl- on a completely different level. And it gives, them the, it gives them the idea that their mistakes will lead to costly results. And if you, if you give them that environment, it... it it build, it builds a player's character an awful lot, and it's clear to me that that Bradley Leverage, Bradley Leverage has done really well at Bogner. Yeah, he has, and you know, I thought he's one of the standout players down there when I've gone to watch them. But I do think, though, the you know, Brad was saying about you know the league is more physical. Was the first thing he mentioned when they asked, you know, how does it compare? It's more physical. Um, teams like uh, to keep the ball a lot, but they also go up and down the pitch quickly. It's not just a sort of slow build, knock it round. Mm. Uh, people and also people want to win. It's, it highlights that competitiveness in a game, you know. Yeah, it's not just about playing um, pretty football. Yeah, precisely. With um, reserve football, I've I've heard many ex players, including um, John Parkin, ex football league player, ex Premier League player, I think at one point, um, saying that reserve football used to have that environment of non league where it mattered about re- it fully mattered about results. So playing reserve football wasn't completely at the end of the world if you just played that and players developed in that system. Now it's completely the opposite. Many youth players don't develop as much by playing reserve football. So they have to seek out these loans to non-league, the National League, North and South or even lower to gain that experience. No, completely. I think when you look at where you want a player to develop and who you want to help handle these players and that kind of thing. Now I said this before on the podcast, but there's no better person in my opinion in the South to help develop these players than Robbie, Robbie Blake is who's, you know, assistant manager down at Bognor Regis. Obviously he's been there. He's done it. You know, he's played in the premier league. Uh, he's coached at Pompey as well. So he's for me, the most, well, he's an obvious candidate and a great candidate to help these young players develop. And that's exactly what young players need. They need, <clears throat> they need to, they need an open-minded coach to go to and say, "Oh, I need, I, I'm struggling with this. I need to, I need to work on this part of my game." For example, Bradley for Brad Lifridge, it might be, "Oh, and, uh, because of the physicality, I need to work on holding up the ball a bit more, or something in those lines." Uh, yeah. Having having a youth coach that uh, with an open mind, and sh- and giving him his experiences and teaching him new skills that that can only improve a player in the long term. Yeah, definitely. And I remember I saw Bradley Leffridge play last year, about a year ago, and he he was getting a bit frustrated, to be honest. He wasn't getting the support up front he needed and stuff. Um, and when Robbie Blake was there just encouraging him the whole time. Come on, Brad, you got this, mate. And it's great to see how he's developed and got his composure and ultimately managed to break into the checker trade or the leasing or whatever it's called now cup um, <laughs> team against Oxford. And it's not easy to score a goal against Oxford, is it? Because they put out a pretty strong side. Yeah, they did. Yeah, but also put up a, a, a very mixed side. 
And Carl, Rob- Carl Robinson obviously wanted to try and beat Portsmouth for one uh, hit one of his teams to beat Portsmouth for once in his life. So he set up a, a fair, uh, pretty <laughs> much their first team. But um, no, the, no, the, the youth players played really well, and I was really happy to see them. That, that's the one positive of that cup that that football league teams pretty much now have got the license to rotate their entire team, and the youth players can get some minutes. And let's just listen to what Liam Dyche had to say quickly. Who's if people who don't know, one of the Pompey coaches who, you know, helps with the development of the, of the young players down there was on media duties, again with Lee Roberts. Liam Jace joins me. Liam, disappointing today? Proud? How was your overriding emotions? Obviously, we're always disappointed when we lose. Um, but overall, um, the application of the lads, um, I couldn't fault. And, um, you know, I, it was just that sort of 15-minute period straight after half-time that we didn't quite start right uh, and found ourselves two goals. But, you know, we kept on going and um, in the end I thought I thought we had the momentum and, and we're going to go and, and get an equaliser. I think if you'd said, if I said to you at half-time you're going to lose 2-1 at full-time, you would have probably said... You're crazy because at first, in the first half, Pompey looked like the better side and had the best chances. We had a lot of chances in and around their penalty box. Didn't really take them. Didn't get probably clean enough strikes away. Um, you know, made the keeper safe, but you know, kept it. It was quite. They were quite comfortable for him. Um, you know, that's that can be the difference where you're coming in maybe one two nil up instead of nil nil. Um, and then you know the first time we did really clean clean hit the strike with a bit of venom uh, we score from from great play um but you know overall you know as you said uh, uh, i think i think we're um, you know we're very young young under 18 side and um i thought we caused uh, Bournemouth a number of problems by just sticking with it the momentum swung back to our way in the, back in the second half and we, we kept on going and um, you know I thought that chance that fell to Alfie Stanley in the in the last few minutes you know that's that was the the player you'd want want that, that chance to fall to and he just couldn't keep it down but overall you know I couldn't fault the lads for their effort their behaviours their, their commitment and some good play as well Is it in these sort of games that the result is almost secondary and it is about the performance and about learning as they go on in their football career? Well, as you go a little bit higher, I mean, a lot of these lads have, you know, we play under-18 football this Saturday and it'll be different to this, but this is, you know, the, as you get closer to the to the first team, you know, you know, you are looking for results and end product and mm. things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something new for some of them, um, but um, all good learning for them going to be speaking to Bradley Leppridge in a bit he's actually stood behind us so I have to watch this question uh, carefully but Bradley Leppridge today has scored how much thanks do you owe to Bognor Regis for getting him regular game time at a high standard of men's football it's invaluable for him um, you know I think uh, Bradley will you know he, he needs to be challenged uh, like, like a lot of the uh, players that now come to the end of their two-year programme. Now, Bradley's a third year, but of the two-year scholarship programme, but at the end of that, they need to be challenged. They need to get out. We obviously haven't got uh, an, an, a natural under-23 team, but you know our third-year scholars need to get out and play. And Joe Hancock and Bradley Leftbridge and Joe Dandy, um, they've all come out at Bognor and um, 
got valuable experience and um, it's, it's, it's perfect for their for their development. And what's your view on the uh, EFL trophy, the, the leasing trophy that Pompey won last year? Do you feel it's a good competition to blood young youngsters in as we saw against Oxford? Yeah, well, he, we we did it last year and um, uh, the manager, the first team manager did it last year. He brought younger players in. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, integrating young players with the first team and this is where you learn. I, I you know, you can... You can be coached and uh, for, for you know forever, but there's nothing like playing against um, quicker, stronger, better players for your your development. That's how you learn. Well, Liam, thank you very much for coming to speak to us. Thank, thank you very you. much. Cheers, Cheers Liam. Bye. Thank you. Do you know what's interesting, Freddie, about about that for me? The first thing that comes to mind is he talks about the fact we don't have an under 23s um, development team, and so it means that it's, it's really important for these young players to come out on loan and, and develop. This is always a question that gets asked, isn't it? And we're talking about how, you know, it's important for them to play against men, etc. But would it help having these loans in addition to having an under 23 development side? Absolutely. I think um, <clears throat> already certain youth players, Portsmouth would have liked to have kept, have gone on to other teams because Portsmouth don't have that under 23 side. They have, I have to go in the first team and if they're in that cusp where they're not quite ready for the first team, but they've got an, they've got excellent upside, then you need an under-23s team for that. And also you can facilitate loans from there as well. I think the owners really want an under-23s team. That's where I think a lot of their, uh, where they want some of their money to go, which is which can only be a good thing for me. If they want it, why didn't, why didn't they get it this season, Freddie? I mean, I know you're not ambassador for bloody Michael Eisner but it seems it seems an obvious question to me that you know Oxford I believe have an under 23s team I don't understand yeah, why we, a, why a, we a can't of, go and do it a lot of football league clubs have an under 23s team I think I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head last, last season one of our, a youth player of Pompey's went to another football league team because they had an under 23s team and surely now that if if, if um if they want a long-term approach for players, if they want to buy young players and nurture them, then there has to be that that gap between under uh, under 18s and under 21s and the first team, and that's what the under 23 side will do. So that should be on many things. That should be on Portsmouth's list to 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 get that under 23s team. Completely, and you wouldn't have seen strikers like Dan Smith, who was actually ahead of Bradley Lethbridge in a development chart, arguably. But um, when I spoke to Lee Roberts down there, he sent him off to Cork for you know the end of a season, and then gets released. It seems absolutely bonkers to me, mate. But there you go. Um, yeah, thanks again to to Lee for you know sending us all those audio clips and you know getting down there because yeah, it's much appreciated. We can't be down there the whole time, but you know what. If you're interested in watching some of the young players in Portsmouth, get yourself down to Bogner, go and watch a game. It's it's a great place to watch a game. It's not very expensive, but I do believe I've got in for media duties. But the chips are great. The cheesy chips are <laughs> awesome there. Um, it's a fun atmosphere, and it's an opportunity to see these players who are pushing now, really, for you know, pushing the first team, some of them now, aren't they? And, yeah, in action. Uh, and also, the last thing I was going to point out um on this topic was um, I said to Lee that I'd mentioned that Bogner at the moment are having, and I'll get the details in front of me because I'm only going to blab it otherwise. Um, <laughs> they're having um, 
da, da, da. and what's the date? Because I was supposed to have saved it. This is just typical of me, isn't it? Well, I've done it already today, so... <laughs> this is just bloody <laughs> typical. Yeah, remembered something and then hadn't got it on the screen and had to spend two minutes looking for it. Well, yeah, so Bognor Regis are basically having a Rolling Stones tribute band um, at the ground. Um, tickets are just £10 per person for a night of superb entertainment at Bognor Regis Football Club. Get your tickets online at www.ticketor.com slash rocks1883. Um, and if you want any more information on that, hit me up on Twitter. I'll be happy to point you in the right direction. All right. Um, I probably should have found out what day it was on, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely awful, mate. Let's have a look. First of November at 7.30. So go down there and support Bogner and support the lads and have a great night. Okay, cool. Um, Moving on from that, that was the nice sunny part of the podcast, wasn't it, Freddie? Yeah, absolutely. Now we're going to get into some more, well, depressing or let's say evaluative, <laughs> evaluative content, shall we? That's right, because let's be honest, this football under Kenny Jacket has been absolutely appalling, dull, uninteresting, uncreative, and quite rightfully, the fans aren't happy with it. Of but, course they're not. Of course they're not. I think for me, <clears throat> when Portsmouth were on that one where they were winning games, I thought, okay, it's it, it's not completely the Paul Cook-style possession-based football. And I didn't mind it at the time because Portsmouth were winning games. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. You could see the strengths of Portsmouth with the, with the, def- the defence, being able yep. to soak up all that pressure. And, it, uh, and the problem was for me, the direct style of football, it wasn't completely aimless like it is now. There was there was the idea of oh we would recycle recycle the ball through the back four if there's nothing on long ball to Ollie Hawkins and he can head it down for Jamal Lowe or Gareth Evans to run onto there was a plan there and that uh, and I didn't mind the football at the time but now the problem is for me the football's aimless they're reverting to type they have obviously like every single game they have that first. 20 minutes to half an hour where where they look like the best team on the pitch and they're passing the ball around really nicely and there's lots of movement. Then it just dies. Then, then the game just goes completely flat and there's no movement. And then you then the players pass it to the full-backs and then you get that long ball, but this time to John Marquis instead, who we're completely wasting, completely wasting his talent by doing that. It's frustrating, to say the least. No, it's completely frustrating. And we'll get on to John Marquis in a minute. Do you know what? Watching... Pompey play at the moment it's a bit like when I started out trying to play golf right I got all enthusiastic at the start I was in it I hit I hit the ball well a few times then afterwards I realized I was shite at it basically and just <laughs> and just, and just packed in and just oh, you know I, like I, I, I putted a little bit but you know I didn't really bother trying to, to play properly and ended up just not playing I'd sort of think at the moment with Pompey it's that sort of thing isn't it it's we we try at the start when it doesn't work when it doesn't happen they sort of lose confidence in the system they're playing and just sort of give up, basically. They revert to type again, and that is that's happened in so many games. I've been to three away games, and that's and that's happened in every single game. The only game where I, out of the ten games this season, Portsmouth got thirteen points. The only game where Portsmouth played well for me for the entire ninety minutes was away at Blackpool, and that was uh, uh, that game also had the best forty-five minutes I've seen from Pompey, where. It was direct at times when it needed to be. Portsmouth were comfortable on the ball. They were, they were, and they had the high press where they were hassling Blackpool as well. And in yeah. this game, there was none of it. 
there was none of it. They reverted to type again, where it was the di- the direct ball to nobody, or there was no movement off the ball, so there were no options for players. So they just shuttled it out right and put in loads of crosses into about eight Gillingham players in the penalty area. And that's not working anymore. I was staggered. I had the game on the radio, and I was staggered at how flat the atmosphere was. I could hear the Gillingham assistant coach on the radio and not the Fratton end. That, if that's not a sign that of the lack of confidence in the manager and the lack of confidence in the way Porto are playing, then I don't know what else is. No. No, it's awful, isn't it? Mm. It's absolutely awful. Let's go to the question we asked. I said we put out something on Twitter and you guys responded again. Cheers for that. Much appreciated. The show wouldn't be a show, really, without you guys having an input. Yes, so, thank you very much. Yeah, big up people. So, Pompey lacked any creativity going forward and were unable to break down a poor Gillingham side. What should change to get some creativity and attacking threat, which has been sorely missed against Gillingham? Well... We asked the question. You guys came in with some responses. Freddie, um, Jacket's Jacket came out and said, the team rely on wingers for creativity, but we try to contain teams so much we go deep and narrow. When we have the ball, only the wingers look to run with the ball. We don't attack quickly or with any numbers to support the overlap. Look to take the team shape rather than progress the ball. So the team is basically looking to keep that shape rather than actually play the ball, progress forward. What are your thoughts, Freddie? Are the team dropping deep? Absolutely. I think uh, uh, he's hit the nail on the head there. It was especially a case in the Doncaster game where I talked about a stat called PPDA, which, for those of you not familiar, essentially it shows, does a team press a lot or drop deep a lot? And And the number was telling. We dropped deep so much in that game. I looked for the Gillingham game. And that, and that number was about half of what the Doncaster game was. So, yes, Portsmouth are pressing a bit more. But that is still Only because issue. Gillingham was so deep, wasn't it? Only because Gillingham was so yeah. deep. You couldn't, you couldn't not press them more than oh, the Doncaster and it was, game. It was also just the fact that Portsmouth had a lot of possession as well, whereas in the Doncaster game we didn't. But that is the case. Whenever Portsmouth tried to break out with the ball, the fullbacks are deep. Both centre halves are deep, and then uh, the key thing for me is both centre midfielders are deep as well. If you want the centre midfielders to drop deeper, you have to push the fullbacks forward. And obviously, I like I like Josh Bolton and Lee Brown for their defensive capabilities, but asking them to go back and forward, back and forward for ninety minutes is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So what you have is you have Ben Close and Tom uh, and Tom Lay, they're all dropping deeper, and then you have, for example, the front four or the front three, or the front two, being isolated alongside Gillingham's midfield. You you lose the midfield completely by doing that. I, I think that the main thing for me is I don't. I think Ben Close is being shackled in the way he's being used in midfield. When you, uh, what, we, what would be your thoughts on that? No, completely. We know what Ben Close can do when he's on the ball moving forward in, the, in a more free role, shall we say. When, he played, when we played the 4-3-3 formation, I really thought Tom Naylor could sit deep and it sort of allowed Close and Cannon or Close and McCrory to push up further up the pitch, which oh, also allowed us precisely. to get the ball back further up the pitch. So With that 4-3-3 um, as well, again, you, you were saying about the fullbacks going forward. Basically, what, it, 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 obviously, they don't set up like a three at the back, but in-game, while they're playing, it turns into a three at the back. So, so the centre-halves will sit back and you've got... Christian Burgess, who, who's the ball-playing centre-half, who can play the ball to anybody. And the full-backs can go forward, and Tom Naylor can do what he does best, sit back, 
win those defensive duels and win those tackles and regain possession. But his forward passing isn't good. But the problem is you want Ben Close to facilitate what Tom Lader's bad at. But he is so close to Tom Lader all the time and the lack of moon off the ball basically means that Ben Close's passing is not as penetrative as it was last season. He ha- he's been okay this season. He hasn't played great. But with his performances at the moment, he, he looks as if he might get dropped soon. With the, with the way he's being used and to a certain extent the way he's being played. I don't want to be too harsh on him because I know how, what, I know how Ben Close plays when he's on the top of his game, when he's given that licence to go back backwards and forwards. At the moment, I just don't think he's been given that. No, he's not. He's basically been told to be Tom Naylor Mark II, isn't he? And that doesn't to, see yeah, the to, game a cer- to a certain extent, he's basically being told to be a playmaker but from a lot deeper position. And because of the lack of movement off the ball, that just that just that just hurts. It basically means put ports of look very ploddingly slow going forward, even with a good playmaker in the middle like Ben Close. And obviously, Ben Close gets a lot of flack, a lot of flack about that from the fans now because of those performances, and that's and that's really sad to see. Yeah, and it looks lackluster. But you got to say, I don't think it's the from a lack of talent from Ben Close's point of view. I think no, it's just the way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Kenny Jackett's fault. So Utilising him wrong. So many of the players, again, as you said, it's just the way they're being used. Some of the the lack of service to John Marcus has been criminal this season. How he's got two goals this season, I've no idea. I've no idea. One of them was a low cross from Brandon Hounstrup, which was an excellent piece of play. Yeah, and and honestly, I can't remember what the other goal was. Just it, 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 John Marcus has been is a. Is the key signing and is the the key focal point in this team for goals, and you have to build your team around that. It's no, there's no good having the most expensive signing Porto have made since 2011 sitting there up front, either on his own or being made to play deeper. He played it number ten again as a cam against Gillingham, and that's unacceptable completely. He has to be used as a number nine in the right way with through balls. And with low crosses, and and that's what you bought Marcus Harness for. Marcus Harness is very good at those, and he's just not being. He's being told most of the time probably not to do that, or doesn't have the confidence to do that himself if there's no movement off the ball. Someone else has got to come round him. James Bolton has to give him an option on the right. The central midfielders have to make a run through the middle, even if they're not going to be getting the ball to to try and drag defenders and midfielders away from the the person who's got the ball to to their feet. Because we're so stationary at the moment, that's just not happening, is it? And that's why we look at the game against Gillingham and Marcus Harness has actually lost six dribbles. Yeah, because he's trying to dribble around two players. He's trying to dribble around two or three players to to try and create a chance for himself. And you can't blame him. Some people may look at that stat and go, oh, he's not dribbling very well. But yes, because he's got no other option at all other than to try and dribble past two or three players. Yeah, no. Agreed, mate. Cheers, Jack's jacket. Uh, Rob, our brother in crime from Pompey News now, messages in. Cheers, Rob. Cannon has to play. Pittman has to be dropped. Need to play fast football, which unfortunately won't happen under Jacket. No, you think he's spot on. Well, think- he's, he's hit the nail on the head. I, I do think Cannon does deserve his, his starts now, especially since Ben Close is being shackled in that role where he's not playing very well give Cannon a couple of games and centre midfield alongside Naylor if you want to play the four or even if you want to play that awful 4-2-3-1 play him as a number 10 instead of Brett Pittman I'm sorry there there was that clamour for Brett Pittman to play because we were struggling for goals 
Yes, he scored two goals, but for most of those games, he's been a passenger. He's been an absolute passenger in those couple of games, offering pretty much nothing going forward. The link-up play at the Doncaster game when he was when he was with John Marquis, not entirely his fault, obviously, because the build-up play was the worst bit for me. Sure, he he didn't he hasn't offered a lot. He hasn't, and, and you can't just go. Oh, he scored twenty-five goals two seasons ago, so he should start. No, no, well, he shouldn't. No, statistically, who's our worst player against Gillingham? Um, when you look at passes completed, shot attempts, dribbles, etc., all the stats put together, Brett Pittman came out on bottom, uh, mm. with Sean Racket coming out on top. And let's be honest: if Brett Pittman isn't providing any link up with another striker if you're playing him up front is he and if we're going to play two strikers up front you've got to think you've got to play ellis harrison with john marquis up front oh precisely um it, or or even if, if john marquis gets injured for example Pittman and harrison i think if they played together a bit more i think it could work to a certain extent let let Pittman basically be the poacher and then ellis harrison to do all the dirt or all the dirty stuff with the winning the duels and the passing Brett Pittman is a good passer of the ball, but only in certain situations. And for me, he just hasn't stepped up since it, since his interview, where he basically said, "You should play me because I'm a goal scorer." Yeah, yes, he scored two goals, but one of them was a penalty. Then the rest of his performance haven't impressed me or any of the other Pompey fans at all. No, I thought he was poor against Bolton when he got that header at the back post. But the rest mm. of the game, I thought he was one of the worst players in the pitch. <clears throat> Moving on quickly, um, Ben Pay says you've got two options here. When he's fit, Hawkins plays up top. Kenny Jacket tactics have only been effective with Hawkins up top. Or number two, the other option he's got is more pace, more energy, get it forward quicker. That doesn't mean long. We made it too easy for two banks of four to defend. So option one, let's get Hawkins back up top. What do you reckon? It might suit Kenny Jacket's style of play. It would do, but considering the amount of talent we have up front, I'm sorry, Ollie Hawkins is last of the queue to start. And yes, that's that's unfair. And he does fit fit the scheme fit really well. But we spent two and a half million on Harrison and Marquis, and they're categorically better strikers. They have to start in that game, and the system has to adapt. I'm sorry, I I, I don't think now going to Ollie Hawkins. Maybe you could put him in a four four two with John Marquis, with the high press, with the direct with the direct balls at times. But no, we just have to change it. That 4-3-3 we played at the beginning of the season with Curtis Harness and Marquis, with Ben Cross in the free role, McCrory as the box-to-box uh, box and then Naylor sitting, mm-hmm. I thought that worked really well. Yes, that it was clunky at times. Yes, the movement off the ball still wasn't as good as what I would have liked. But as a foundational formation, I thought it... Uh, and as, a, founda- and as a, a formation to play at Fratton Park, I thought it was really good. But no, I don't think Jacket will go to that ever again because we'd lost those games because of individual errors. No, no I'm going to go with what you were describing there, Freddie. Pretty much is what uh, Ben Pay said as option two, isn't it? More pace, more energy, get it forward quicker. Oh, precisely. It's, enti- yeah. it's entirely the off the ball. Everything off the ball is what is hindering this Portsmouth side. In certain games, when Portsmouth don't control possession, it's the lack of press. If it, with the high press, Portsmouth can counterattack excellently with the players they have, excellently. And uh, and then, but the key, which we've mentioned to death on this show already, is the movement off the ball. 
there has yeah. to be more movement, more uh, more passing triangles, more movement movement into the cha- channels. And yes, it, and that actually works with the direct football as well. It mm. works with the direct style of football. Yes, some of the passing may look aimless at times, but if there's movement off the ball and I can see, oh, James Bolton's picked that pass from the halfway line to Ellis Harrison because he's because he's unmarked and he's made that wrong alongside the centre half. But fans won't mind that. Fans won't mind a bit of direct football if there's a point to it, like last season was. It's the fact that there seems to be no rhyme or reason for these long balls at all is what's angering fans and, ma- and making them apathetic. So, yeah, yeah. for me, which, you, which you've mentioned, that 4-3-3 has to be the formation. And it's the most flexible formation we can have because Andy Cannon can play a bit deeper. Andy Cannon can slot in really well in the centre midfielders. Ryan Williams can slot in on the left wing or the right wing. And it just sets up. As the, as the as the tactic of Fratton Park to build on, that is the formation we should go to. But I don't think Jack will go play that formation anymore. No, he can be quite stubborn, can't he, in some ways. And then... Just a bit. But then again, just... we say that, but he's, at the moment, he seems to be just throwing shit at a wall and hoping something sticks. Sort of oh, thing. precisely. When he, when, he was playing, when he was playing every single defender out of position. When he was playing Christian Burgess at right back. Oh, don't remind me of that. Playing our best centre-half at right back. The Burginator. That, that, that's inexcusable. <laughs> it probably made him a better centre-half, but we didn't need to play him there. <laughs> I think he said that in the news, didn't he? he said yeah, that... he did. He said, oh, yeah. uh, oh it was a wake-up call for me play, playing at right-back, but obviously didn't suit him whatsoever. No. Can we just take a second, actually, talking about advanced stats, to say that the article in the news, written by Will Rooney, to say that Portsmouth according to XG tables would be, you know, in the top half and sort of saying that we've been unlucky because of the factor of that. It's not the case, is it? And you have to take these sort of stats in context to help analyze what you're seeing on the pitch, not just bashing them out onto a table and saying, you know, well, we've been unlucky. Oh, precisely. Precisely. We've, it, it gives advanced stats a bad, a bad name when, <laughs> when people, I wouldn't say misuse when they misinterpret them. No, but obviously all the comments on the on Facebook when they saw that article was, oh, only one stat matters, and that and that's if it's ports of two, Doncaster one, for example, or goals scored or whatever. XG is a useful stat as it shows roughly what sort of chances a team is making in the game. But for me, the key thing, if people have are a bit iffy on advanced stats, the best thing I could say is they're an indicator. They're a rough indicator of how a team plays and roughly what they're good at and what they're bad at and you can relate that to what you're seeing on the pitch and then use both to make changes tactically and the problem is that article basically just said oh because of individual errors and because Portsmouth should have taken their chances they should be five or six places above in the league which considering how we've played anybody could argue against that completely yeah yeah no, I completely agree. Well said, Freddie. So just moving on now, I'm gonna I'm gonna group some of these people together. Cheers, people, but since the comments are the same. Um Stuart Harmer, Stephen Rose, um, Alex, Adam Drake, Adam Dark, sorry, mate, um, Sharon, uh LT, and a few other people have said change the manager. So 
I just thought I'd shout you guys all out rather than read everyone out individually and say the same comment. So, yeah. Changing the manager, obviously, Adam, that's true. That would possibly create some creativity, depending on who we actually brought in as a manager. Do you reckon the Isers will sack Kenny Jacket? Do you think that this sort of, the atmosphere at Fratton Park, the sort of, the apathy towards the team, which, in my opinion, is worse than actual anger, um, will lead to them eventually coming to their senses, maybe, and sacking Kenny Jacket? Not for, I don't think they will sack him for at least a couple of months. I think... They will ride it out until Christmas at most, which is <laughs> very frustrating. Hugh, I'll ask you a question. Last season, how many goals did Portsmouth score in all comps? Do I don't remember? know. No, I don't. They scored 109 goals in 62 games, and they still didn't get promoted. That stat alone is damning to Kenny Jacket and the way that they were playing. Advanced stats-wise, last season, Portsmouth were top of nearly every single category. XG, Shots on target, crossing accuracy. You, you, you can name many stats, and they were and they were top. A- a- XGA as well, expected goals against. They were top of that by a fair way. What position do we finish? Well, yeah, definitely getting promoted. I'll be let's put it that way, Freddie. So, Precisely. Last season, yeah. we finished fourth. We finished Precisely. fourth behind Barnsley, behind Luton as well, and that's just damning. I don't. It, uh, they talk about the pro the process a lot of oh. It will take some time for this team to get better. It will take some time for this team to get further. I'm sorry, it was a failure last season. I'm sorry. that, that I had this opinion at the time and, and I reverted on it to an extent because I thought it was harsh on the, on, the, on the players and the manager. But now I'm just seeing the same problems happen this season over and over again. And, and that's reinforced my opinion. We had arguably the best defence in the entire league. You have Barnsley with Lindsay and Pinnock at centre-half. Mm-hmm. So they were basically two of the best defenders in the league. Portsmouth were pretty much there that way. We had an attacking player, Jamal Lowe, scoring 17 goals. How does that team not get promoted? How does that team not get promoted? Considering the start we had by the middle of Christmas, we were top of the table by seven, eight points. Yeah. A, yeah. Fair, a, a fair way. And uh, he didn't get back to in January. He, he, he got back now after losing in the playoffs. As much as we were frustrated, we'll, we'll move on slightly. In January, he was he was backed quite well. He got that twenty goal a season striker he wanted, but in certain areas, his his recruitment's been fairly mediocre. James Bolton looks like a reasonable player. Whoa, whoa hold on, Brim Morris. Well, that's just unlucky with injury, isn't it? <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I don't. I I will never blame a manager for signing a player and then suddenly if they have a horrible injury crisis I feel sorry for Bryn Morris I hope he gets better but some of the players that have come in are uh, I mean they're okay James Bolton solid right back certain players are solid in their positions Marcus Harness for me is the signing of the season so far yeah, sure, I, hope John Marcus is, I hope John Marcus is later <laughs> on but Marcus Harness is the signing of the season so far but really it are these the signings Portsmouth need to make to push on and be that side? The expectations, rightly or wrongly, this season were promotion, either through the playoffs or either through automatic top two. And it seems so far away already. Yes, I know we're seven points from playoffs, but we're seeing the same issues from last season. The lack of creativity in certain games, if it's not that... It's the it's the formation that doesn't 
fit against an opposition side. If it's not that, it's a poor substitution. I'm sorry, for example, putting on the third centre-half against Coventry, that was criminal. That was criminal. Probably one of the worst managerial decisions I've, I've seen full stop. Kenny Jackett knows that, and I hope he doesn't make that sort of sub ever again. But for me, the, the only reason... I, I, I don't like to say this. I want Portsmouth mm-hmm. to replace the manager now. And I think most people agree with that now. And I gave him I gave him so much time, and I thought, okay, he's had the summer. He signed some of the players that he's wanted. The first couple of games, we were unlucky against Sunderland Shrewsbury not to get six points. Fine. But the fact that we're getting all these problems again going forward with the formations, with the substitutions. There's never been a game where I've backed the manager 100% in what they've done. Even in the Blackpool game, even in the Blackpool game, which was the best game Ports have played all season, they had that whole bollocks of replacing Gareth Evans after 20 minutes and then playing Ellis Harrison at the right wing because he wanted to stick to the 4-3-3. Exactly. Ellis Harrison, the last time Ellis Harrison played on the wing was when Bristol Rovers were in the conference when he was a young player, when physically he hasn't filled out. This is why now Portsmouth should replace the manager. And his name hasn't come up in many arguments I've seen, but he'd be the perfect fit now if you were to sack Kenny Jacket. And it it is harsh considering last season, but the facts remain the facts. The expectation this season is promotion. And we have the players to do that. And the manager who should replace Kenny Jacket is Daniel Stendel. Daniel Stendel was wrongfully sacked, walked from Barnsley because they didn't let him buy the players he wanted or the type of players he wanted. Yeah. Uh, more to the point, he would be the perfect manager for Portsmouth now. Defensively, reason he knows how to set up a back four, which is what Kenny Jacket does already. But I saw Barnsley. Against Portsmouth at, at, at Oakwell, you see, I go to all the North, I try to get to most of the Northern games, and mm-hmm. Barnsley tore us to bits. Barnsley tore us to bits for most of that game. All the running off the ball between uh, with players like Corley Woodrow, and uh, and it was adaptable. At first, they played passes along the floor, but since Portsmouth dropped a little bit deeper, they then related. They went then went to crosses. Then they brought an extra man in midfield forward. You could see the tactical changes over and over and over again. And that is the sort of progressive, attack-minded manager that should work with Portsmouth. I wasn't completely against the football that Kenny Jackett played last season. Not completely 100% against it because it worked and it suited the players we had at the time. But considering the players we've brought in now and the same struggles we're having over and over again, I don't. I think Kenny Jackett is running out, running out of reasons to, for fans to get excited or support him anymore as harsh as it is for me he lost it after the Southampton game losing 4-0 yes we played excellent in the second in the first half and we went 2-0 down but the second half all the confidence drained and there was no tactical nous to try to at least try and get Portsmouth back in the game in that regard <laughs> and that's why that's why a change has to be done if you want the team to be mediocre, fine. You can keep him. You can keep Kenny Jacket until the end of the season. We, 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 we'll probably finish mid-table. We might even make the playoffs. We might even make the playoffs. We might go on the run or something. But this, but the the absolute top ceiling with Kenny Jacket as the manager is, if we get promoted, struggle. Struggle 
And is that the ceiling we really want? Is that the process that the owners have been talking about? Is that the top of that process with this manager? Is that all worth it? No, it's not. No, it's not. And I understand their reluctance to change because they don't want they don't want a manager to come in and rip everything to bits and sell half the team and get rid of the entire coaching staff and just start it, start the rebuild again. But his time's done, isn't it? Well, I, I, what, what do you think? What do you think? I, I can't see, I can't see long-term success with Kenny Jacket as the manager, and that's surely what you want from any manager, surely. No, I'm in agreement, Freddie. I, I just don't see a way forward at the moment. And as you said last season, there was. You know, it wasn't the prettiest to watch, but it was a style of play. It was, you know, it was a it style of play that worked exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't think people, a lot of people didn't mind the fact that it wasn't completely Paul Cook's sort of football because it it suited the players we had. It worked, and there was a game plan involved, and we executed that hundred percent every time. And we're not even doing that now. We're not even doing that. Here's a good and question that, for you. Actually, this goes on from this. Kelvin Biadlin's messaged in. Cheers, mate, and said. So, Realistically, where do we finish this season? Would you take points over performance? No, <laughs> I, I wouldn't at this stage. No, because I, I, in the long term, if we keep on these sorts of performances, we're not going to get anywhere. Sunderland are the perfect example. They they played mediocre football and they relied on high-end talent to bail Jack Ross out at any opportunity, relying on last-minute goals from Chris Maguire, mostly. Yeah. They they were fed up. They finally sat their manager, which probably should have been done at the end of last season. And they, got to the, they, got, they went to Wembley twice. On paper, it's a successful season, you, would, you could argue. But performances will equal points. And the way Ports are, are performing at the moment, yes, in the last three games, we got seven points out of nine. But were you convinced in any of those games that this would continue? I, I certainly wasn't. Were you? Do you think the way we're playing now, do you think we can get in the playoffs? No, I don't. We're, we're, I flatly the, don't the think we're going to get anywhere near the playoffs in this setup. To be no, honest. I don't um, either. I think we're going to be mid, lower mid-table at this rate. And you know, when you're looking at the scores now, people go to, oh, "How Peterborough doing?" Or how I don't really give a monkey's mate how Peterborough doing at the moment, or how are Ipswich doing, or whatever. Because I'm looking over my shoulder, and we're going to play a, a potential relegation dogfight match against Wimbledon. Was that a six-pointer earlier in the season? Obviously, I'm exaggerating for effect, but that is the realistic situation which we're in now. And when we spoke to Mark Catlin, me and Andy, at the end of the season, you know, Coventry game, the end of the season, he said, if we don't get promoted this season, the pressure is, you know, going to go up next season. It will be promotion or absolute failure. They knew it was promotion or failure. They went out and spent the money in the summer and at the moment, it's absolute failure, isn't it? And it's, it, not, it's not good enough completely. That that, that it, What's happening now doesn't link up with Mark Catlin's statement at the end of last season where it's promotion or bust. If it's promotion or bust, he should have been sacked already. Well, we do. I, 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 I waited to say Jacket should be sacked until I saw a clear managerial candidate who's unemployed now, Daniel Stendhal. I'm, I'm taking away my old, uh, old. I'm taking off my old jacket and putting on my designer stendals. <laughs> okay, I've got. Apparently, I was speaking to um, the guys, my office, sort of Barnsley fans. And do you hear that Stendhal went out um, on the piss with all the Barnsley fans? Yes, I did. Boosters. I watched. Um, 
there was a YouTube video by Tykes TV because I wanted to look up um, the general feeling of uh, Daniel Stendhal being sacked. And then there's just him shotting tequilas with the fans and him basically every, every time he walked into the ground, he, he shook hands with nearly every all of the employees. That is the sort of manager you want. Precisely. That's the sort of manager that can inspire the players. And that he's pretty, he's proven it now. He's got that Barnsley team promoted. Can you see People... Jacket doing that? You see Jacket busting into um, into like the Rutland or whatever, just boshing people and doing like uh, doing tequilas and stuff. And... I try and avoid talking about Kenny Jacket's personality because, well, we all know he's a lovely man from what from what we've heard. Do you remember um, that trialist we had? Uh, was it Brick Brickley? Mm-hmm. I think it was Brickley who who basically said. Oh, I'm, I'm very grateful of Kenny Jacket for just allowing me to train for a couple of weeks. He t- he taught me more in two weeks than I'd learned in a year. And that and again, that is what what you want from a manager. So I feel I don't want to assassinate Kenny Jacket's character by any manner of means. It's just at the moment his ta- his tactical decisions, which no, no. No, will cost him eventually. No, the, it, the club it, just needs some because we just need a bit more. The fans need something exciting, a new manager with an exciting approach to football who comes in positive, good track record, and looks at the squad of players and goes, Do you know what? I can do something with this. Oh, precisely. Precisely. Well, Kenny Jacket was the perfect appointment when Paul Cook got uh, left. He was the perfect appointment and exactly what we needed at the time. But now I think we we need a manager like Daniel Stendhal or a more unrealistic choice, Nigel Clough, because I don't think he would leave Burton. The fa- the fans would definitely give a new manager time. And if we didn't get... And for example, if a new manager came in around now or around Christmas and we didn't get in the playoffs, fine. I don't think the fans would mind because they would see an idea, they would see a plan, a long-term vision of how this team's, team's going to play and how we're going to beat the, uh, beat the opposition and what sort of formation we're going to play. At the moment, Kenny Jacket looks like a desperate manager, ch- constantly change, rattling through his formations and rattling through player positions. And it's just not working at the moment. It just isn't. And I hate saying it, but I think we need a change now, unfortunately. I think we do as well. Right, let's move on to the next uh, questions. We've got loads of questions already. I actually forgot I've asked this. Have I asked the question from Gabe if we drop Pittman and go 4-3-3? We mentioned it in passing, so mention it anyway. Okay, so Gabe uh, from the Football Lab messaged in, thanks, mate, and asks, would you drop Pittman and go 4-3-3? The answer for me is yes, I bloody would. Um, he's ineffective up front. He's ineffective if you play in the 4-2-3-1 number 10 position. Last season, it seemed to be he seemed to be more effective in the hole. I don't know if that's because he had a player in front of him who's more, you know, with Ollie Hawkins, he's more about holding the ball up and then just running off him rather than a player in front of him like John Marquis, who's effectively trying to get played balls played in front of him rather than the other way around. But yeah, Pittman's not working. Definitely, we talked about 4 3 3. Let's go for it. Let's high press. Um, Matthew Phillips says, in response to that comment, absolutely, we have no idea or desire from the manager to carry the ball forward in midfield. Amazing how we never play up the middle, just avoid it altogether. Saturday versus the Jills was ridiculous. Couldn't agree more, Matt. Yeah, I couldn't agree more either. Yep. Um, Sean says Pittman wouldn't be near the team. I was stuck with 4-4-2. Go with Harrison and Marquez. Cannon for Close. Williams for Evans. The problem will remain that we just work it to the wing and float it 
<laughs> float across in after cross. Oh, no precisely. idea hey, how to break a team down properly. Oh, we know we know this entirely from looking at the advanced stats that ports of their entire their entire offensive output is pretty much crosses, and it just doesn't suit the players we have at the moment. It did, it did suit the players we have, and it suited the formation when we had. Gareth Evans playing at number 10, for example. If the cross came in and it went out, Gareth Evans would just collect the ball and shoot from 20 yards and score. Great. That's fine. And when it had Oliver Hawkins up front with the target man, and when you had Jamal Lowe on the right wing, who was more of a striker than a traditional creative right winger than Harness was, who he often hung on the last defender, it works fine. I don't I don't mind that. But, no, but the problem is it's the lack of adaptability, which is annoying fans, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. the lack of adaptability for the players we have. And that is only ever going to be frustrating. Yeah, no, definitely. This is what uh, John, uh, sorry, Joe PFC Payne message in and says, pass faster, pass forward, try harder. One, two touch passes can beat teams in this league. And I'd like to think our players are good enough to do that. Oh, they are, almost certainly. Uh, going back to the Doncaster game, since it's the last game I saw live, usually if I see live games, it's easier to evaluate things. The quote from Jacket after the game is, you're you are one good pass away from an, uh, for a chance, and that has to be the game plan. <sighs> yes and no. I understand where he's coming from, where, where he can have a killer through ball or a killer cross in the midfield and the striker's on his own. But if you keep doing that, that only works one in 20 times, one mm-hmm. in 15 times. But with the build-up play along the floor and focusing on movement off the ball to create those chances rather than looking for that Hollywood that Hollywood direct ball every time, that has to be the way that Portsmouth should play. And it's not and it's not entirely a style point. It's not entirely a thing of, oh, I'm bored watching this direct football. It's the fact it's not working. It's the fact that it's not working that's annoying people. It's not working, and it's not just that fact, but that is how football's moving, isn't it? That is how successful managers are playing football now. <clears throat> I just don't think... It, it's just not going to work, mate, if you carry on. Let's get through these last two comments, because we actually need to preview the, the um, Wimbledon game as well. So, last question. So, Bene messages in. Cheers, mate. Push defensive midfielders higher up the pitch and trust CBS to bring the ball out. Limits options... Sorry, limit options, current tactics, playing long balls as virtually have four centre-backs, too far between defence and attacking lines. Benno, again, you're on the right point. Centre midfield's too deep. Centre-backs need to bring the ball out and push everyone forward. Either yeah. that or you give licence to your full-backs to go backwards and forwards a bit. And in that regard, you might want to play Houndstrup and Walks as the full-backs. Defensively less reliable? Probably. But if you want a bit more attacking movement, Walks Walks has that passing. We all know he has. It's it's the defensive aspect that we're all unsure about. He can pick out a killer pass. And Hounsrup is defensively responsible and loves to get the ball forward up and down and put in a cross. So, again, like like, like what the the commenter commenter said, just give them more license to go forward a bit more. Because from what we've seen, from the comments from players... It's clearly it's clear now that Jacket is shackling them in the way that he wants to play, and the players obviously go, "Oh, since the manager's told me to play like that, I will." Which do you blame them? No. So again, I don't want to blame it entirely all on the manager. So some individual performances this season haven't been good enough, 
but it's getting clearer and clearer and clearer now that the the manager the manager has to be changed. Yeah. No, I can't agree more, Freddie. Let's move on. Someone P. Jackson says, get the recruit that's always been missing, a creative midfielder. Are we missing a creative midfielder? Uh, I, yes and no. It depends on the formation you're playing. If you're playing the 4-2-3-1, we are missing a number 10. Would I like Cannon to play there? Yeah, but it's too rigid a form of a formation. I think if we played the 4-3-3, we, uh, we wouldn't have any of these issues. Or even, to an extent, the 4-4-2. If we, in a more defensive sense, if we played the four four two and had higher pressing and counterattacked with pace, with uh, Ben Close can thread a decent through ball. If you played under Cannon there, he could do the same thing, and our, and our wingers can make these sorts of passes to uh, to running running strikers. So we have the players who can who can play a slightly more attractive but effective style of football, and. At the moment, it's just not happening. And we can see it happen. We're, uh, uh, I don't think we're missing the creative playmaker. We are if we play 4-2-3-1. But if we play 4-4-2 or 4-3-3, I think we'll be fine. So Luke Ellis um, also messaged in. Cheers, Luke, as always, mate. And he said, Cannon for close, as we need somebody who can take the ball forward. Close is only going sideways or backwards at present. I think we've touched on that. Harness is the only creative player, so he needs to play in the hole. Choice of Williams, Curtis and Evans on the wing. We just need to move the ball quicker so opposition can't settle. That's a good point. Why can't Marcus Harness play 10, Freddie? We discussed this a long time ago, didn't we? When we, when we pretty much signed him. And I think Marcus can, uh, Marcus Harness can play number 10. Yeah. He's got, he's got the raw tools to play number 10. Whether his, posi- his positional sense at first may be a bit of a weakness as he beds into that formation. But if you're desperate to play 4-2-3-1, you can play Harness at Cam and then play Ryan, Ryan Williams on the right wing who loves to try things, who, who enjoys being on the ball and dribbling and dribbling past defenders and yeah. then have an attacking left winger in Ronan Curtis and let Mar- Marcus Harness drop back a tiny bit, not not into the centre-half, centre-midfield line, but just be that outlet for passing. That can work. And I think Marcus Harness can play 10 but I, I would rather just play the four three three or the four 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 two personally. But I would love to see that work. I would love to see. I would love to see Marcus Harness given a chance at the cam role if you are going to use it. Yeah, if you're going to play that role, I think Marcus Harness you know, it would get him more involved in the game, wouldn't it? And he's definitely got that movement off the ball. In the, I think in the middle that would actually work quite effectively. Um, Craig says he agrees with Luke, and he says Harness is a natural number ten. Williams for me down the right, Cannon for close all day long. I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that maybe he's not a natural number 10 because he hasn't played there, but you could say he's got the raw skill set, as we said, to play. Oh, oh precisely, precisely. And it, it, I think even Cannon at number 10 would also work quite well if you want to persist with Ben Close and how he's playing. Again, but uh, Ben Close's performances, it's kind of a half and half. Some of it's down to the, the manager and the way he's using it, but some of it's down to confidence as well. And he hasn't played that well over the last couple of games, so maybe dropping him for Cannon would just give it. Would just give him not a reality check, but a time to contemplate on his performances and then be better. So yeah. you could do either. <laughs> well, put it this way: we're talking about all these options and how we can play, what formations we can play, and who should play, who can play in what way to make the best out of this team. And I just, I. I it seems to me that the, the managers and coaches probably do this, but I, I, since they always revert to type, I don't, I don't have the confidence in them anymore. 
no, I think I think we're all there, mate. I think we are. I don't think there's many people out there now who have to have the yeah, a Kenny jacket tattoo that they want to get on them or whatever. Um, because let's be honest, people just everyone can see it, can't they? You can just see from all the comments, from all the input we're getting, and what all the listeners are saying. Pre- people are pretty much on the same page, aren't they? Oh, 100%. it's not. It's yeah, not. Yeah, it's not a course. huge. It's not a huge sort of variance. It's this would work, and and it's you know it's sort of it's logical and it makes sense what they're saying. Oh, or yeah, this it's, it's would not work fan, as well. It's not, it's not football fans completely talking out their ass. Of course, we're not. We're, we're, these are legit. These are legitimate complaints we're having, and the owners can't look at these opinions and look at the apathy on the pitch and go, oh, it's because we're not spending five million pounds on players, and it's not because we're winning every game. No, it's not that at all. If, if there was a clear plan, plan that the, the fans would back this team to the hilt, like they like they should do every single time. Yeah, yeah. So, no, completely right. Do you know what? That's finished that a bit off nicely. Let's go. Let's preview Gillingham. We're well over an hour already. I Wimbledon. Think hour of, oh yeah, Gillingham. Let's preview Wimbledon. Um, <laughs> Wimbledon. They are a team who are ready to be a banana skin, aren't they, Freddie? With the team how it's playing at the moment. Wimbledon, you look at them, you think 21st in League One. These, this should be a team that we can use as a platform to start a good old run. They've we said played, that about the Bolton game. <laughs> played 13, won two, drawn three, lost eight. Surely Pompey can go to Wimbledon and get a clear win. Right, Freddie? You would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you would hope so. But... It's just, it's just, it's not clear whether Portsmouth will get that. Uh, AFC Wimbledon have won their last two games. That's right. So they've so only won two they're... games. They're on a two-game win streak, mm. or three if you include the uh, leasing trophy, whatever it's called as well. Oh, God. So they won a 4-1 away at Southend in the last game, and before that, they had a 3-2 win at home to Rochdale. Just going to say, though, they may have lost eight other games in the season, but if you go back to the few before that, and you think... You know, were they getting trounced? They deserve the position they're in. Um, they lost the way to Peterborough 3 2. That's nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be ashamed of at all. And before that, they lost at home to Bristol Rovers, who I think are fourth or something in the league at the moment. But they also had a man sent off in the 66th minute, which, which um, meant that, you know, they lost the game there as well. Um, the, the player they had sent off in the 66th minute uh, was Marcus Force. Um, he's their top scorer at the moment with seven goals this season. He got a hat-trick in the last game, including a penalty uh, against Southend. Um, he's definitely my player to watch for the game, not just because of the, excuse me, not just because of the fact that he scored quite a lot of goals for them, but he's quite an interesting player. He's not that tall for a striker. He's five foot 11. He's only 20 years old. He's come from Brentford. He He's quite tricky. He's quite but he's also quite sharp in the box. He seems to be in the right place at the right time to score to score goals. He's only played five starts this season, once off the bench as well. So he's scoring more goals than he is actually games he's actually started. So in comparison, Freddie, what who's Pompey's top scorer? <laughs> Pompey's top scorer. Oh god. Um Ports are top scorers. I'll bring it up now. It's not great reading. I, I, I think this is all comps. Marcus Harness is our top goal scorer with three goals and one assist. Then you got Alice Harrison joint with three goals. Mm. And then there's so many other players, Ben Close, Ronan Curtis, John Marquis, Gareth Evans, all on two goals. So it, 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 even from looking at the top goal scorer chart, it's clear to see that we're not creating reliable chances for the same sort of players to score goals anymore. 
we're just not doing that. And I think that that is what will trouble Portsmouth in this game the most. It has it, it again. It's all the weaknesses that we've gone over already, and the game will be won in midfield. If we lose, I think if we lose the midfield completely, it doesn't matter how good our back four is, because if 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 AFC Wimbledon take the lead, they'll just go for two banks of four again or ten men behind the ball. And do you blame them for doing that? No. Because it will work. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Uh, it'll, it'll work completely, and that is my main worry: that Portsmouth won't create anything for a while. AFC Wimbledon will nick a goal either on a set piece or a nice little counter-attacking play because they can do that. They're not. They're not. They're not a horrendous team by any manner of means. And then they'll sit back ten men behind the wall, and we'll lose one nil. Yeah, and I, I, I hope that doesn't happen. But that's that's the most realistic thing that I can see at the moment. I've, I mean, I forgot to say the game before that they lost the Bristol Rovers after having that red card. They lost two one away at Coventry. Again, that's a tough place to go, isn't it? And, and get a result. So uh, precisely, yeah. Um, let's have a look at how they played in the last game. Obviously, I said that they they won four one um, away at um, at Southend. So looking at the formation they played away at Southend, they play a three five two formation. Um, so they have they play Piggott up front as well, along with Force, who people might know. Um, Michael Pinner, Kim Field, another player people might know as well. If they're, play, if they're playing a five-man midfield, I could see Ports struggling depending on what formation they pick. For example, if they pick four-four-two, I could just see those two strikers being left on their own. Can't you? It, 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 yeah, completely. They they um. Wimbledon also play a very low possession game. So even though they won four one against South End, they actually only had forty percent of possession. Um, but they also had twenty one shots to South End's fifteen. So it just shows that they're a kind of team who will they will drop those two wide players back to make a five man uh, back five if needs be. Um, and then when they're on the ball, they they will push forward quickly and they've got the two strikers up front and they will support those strikers with men in the box and men around the box arriving late as well. So they're one of those they're one of those teams that I feel Pompey could really struggle against. Oh, precisely. Yeah, for all the reasons we've just suggested. <laughs> I think Porto construct may struggle against any team, and that's not be exaggerating. That's not be saying that just because I don't I, I disagree with what the manager is doing. I don't have much confidence in, in Pompey for going into many games so far. Even if we, for example, he, 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 nobody was impressed with the Burton game. Nobody was impressed with the Bolton game. Nobody was impressed. Well, to a certain extent, people were impressed with the grit and desire of the players in the Doncaster game. And certainly nobody was impressed about that Gillingham performance. So at some point, these bad performances are going to, are going to lead to Portsmouth losing games. And there's no way around it. No, yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? Let's be honest. I think we're gonna... bloom, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish it wasn't, but there is hope, though, isn't there, Freddie? There's got to be hope. Oh, there is. It, it, is it... It's the high, it's the high end talent thing, isn't it? Where I could see in some games, Ports of winning maybe one nil because of Ben Close scoring from twenty five yards, or John Marquis finally getting that opportunity and scoring, and then maybe going on a run. Ports have had the players. It's obvious that Ports have had, uh, 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 the majority of the time have the players to play better, and the fact we're not playing better is what's frustrating people. Yeah, completely. <laughs> well, let's be optimistic about this, hey, Freddie. 
Who can <laughs> you try to be? Who do you think? Do you reckon we'll? Do you reckon we're going to line up with another four four two? Do you think Pittman's going to start up front again? Is Jacket going to try and do anything different? He got so much criticism. He said that you know the the players and the team have to be better to get the crowd excited and all this malarkey. Do you reckon the fans are going to come back and? Is it going to be back to the jacket out chance of the Wimbledon of the Wickham game? Sorry, if it's really gonna... bad, yeah, it, yeah, well, yeah. Well, uh, for, for most of the way, uh, I've been to three away games already this season, and we and generally at start, everybody's supportive of the team because well, well the, the the crowd that go to away games are obviously more positive initially. It it just depends how well they play later down the line. They will back the players at first and for most of the game, but if there's a formational change or a substitution that is clearly negative and clearly doesn't doesn't make sense to the fans they they will attack Kenny Jacket for it and they may attack some of the players if they phone it in if they're shown not to try, not to try 100% which I don't I don't think that, that's not a problem for this squad it's clear to everybody that they're all giving 100% and but, let's be I'll be honest yeah we really, we really need to get a result in this game. If we end up losing to Wimbledon, who apparently um, average about five to six dribbles a game, by the way, you think, <laughs> you, you think it's our? Well, if you, if you want a lot, if you want a proper long ball team, then you've just picked them, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. So if you think that, you know, they they tend to shoot on sight, mate. They tend to take as many shots as they can, get it away. It's a bit of a box scramble. You watch the games against a game. Uh, they want to get South End and his deflections. Someone else is in the right space. They they've got it in quick, you know. So they'll flood forward when they can. I really, honestly think this is a team we should beat. Any other time of the season, I'd say we will beat them. South End are rubbish, mate. They are a poor team. They've had a shit start to the season. Um, beating them 4-1 is, is good for Wimbledon but it's not nowhere near as impressive as, as if they were playing somebody else who's a little bit better pedigree so that shouldn't scare our team we need no, to get out scared. there we need to get out there we need to get a couple of early goals from the start which is what's the, been our problem failing to break teams down from the start mm-hmm. get a front foot and get some confidence going Freddie I'm going to ask you the moment for your score prediction are you prepared for that <sighs> do I have a score prediction it depends. Do I want to be? But do I want to be positive or negative? I want you to be oh. honest, mate. Honest. I honest. want you to balance those two. I want you to balance those two in your head. The the positivity of being a Pompey fan. It's <laughs> an ironic comment. And <laughs> and what you generally think is going to happen in the game. Oh. Considering the way Ports have been playing and the types of formations that Jackets picked, I think it could be a one or draw. Who's the goal scorer, mate? Let's pick a goal scorer. Uh, let's say Gareth Evans. If Gareth Evans plays at left wing, he'll have that opportunity. He'll have that opportunity to score. When he got that one-on-one against Doncaster, I had no doubt in my mind that he was scoring. So in attacking sense, if he gets there, right place, right time, he will score. But if if Portsmouth don't win the midfield against AFC Wimbledon, especially since they play a 3-5-2, they will struggle against that team. It's a big banana skin, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope Ports will play well and get three points, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no point in us wishing for us not to get the points, is there? No, no absolutely not. Absolutely no, there's not. absolutely I, no I, point. I'm not that, that cynical yet. I, I, I've seen some people on Twitter want Ports to, to effectively tank to get Kenny Jacket sacked, and that's <laughs> that's not football, is it? It's not. 
no that that's not football that's football whatever it's sort of a coin in the kenny jacket phrase i i'm i'm finding it a bit difficult to understand there's always a few goals at wimbledon I think that they are suspect to conceding a few, and I think they're going to come out a little bit after two wins on the bounce. They're going to want to, you know, they'll look at us and they'll think, we can beat this lot. They can't even get a goal past Gillingham. Um, I reckon that they're going to come out at us. We're going to get a bit of space, hopefully, um, and it's going to end up as a two-all draw. Yeah, I could see, I could put, see that happening as well. And I'd prefer, I'd prefer your prediction to mine because <laughs> Portsmouth would score more goals. Yeah, and I'm going to go with um, Marcus Harness and Lee Brown to resurrect his <laughs> still, soul. Lee, you're still on the <laughs> Lee Brown train. You're still betting every single game for him to score, are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know what, mate? I thought at the minute, a lot of the death then, I just thought, yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I thought yeah. that was going in and then, no. But in all seriousness, um, if Lee Brown isn't the guy to score, it's got to be it's got to be John Marcus, isn't it? I hope so. He 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 needs the service. And he he needs to get on that front foot. He looks like a striker who doesn't know where his where his next goal is going to come from, and that's the worst feeling to have as a number nine. So if he gets that goal, he can kick on. I'm sure he'll be okay. Yeah. All right, mate. Um, Apart from all the amazing stuff that you've already done, people know about for Pompey News Now. Um, and if you don't know about it, please go and check out um, the Pompey News Now website, pompeynewsnowworldpress.com, and check out Freddie's work because he's done some incredible articles for us, um, breaking down a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today on the podcast. Um, yeah, I actually I really enjoy reading them, Freddie. So um, yeah, Thank I appreciate I appreciate you putting all the effort into it. To be honest, because your articles are, let's be honest, far superior to mine in an analysis way. <laughs> I wouldn't say that at all. But no, I don't, whenever I do an article, I do try and put 100% into it. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. I may have less time now since I'm a master, a master's student at Sheffield Uni. I may have less time to write. So, But hopefully every time I write for Ports of Pompey News now, it'll be good. And, and people will enjoy it. No, definitely. Freddie, where can people find you? What are you up to? You can find me on Twitter at freds.w. I'll be pretty much linked in everything the PO forecast does, so I'm sure you can find me. And I usually now I'm starting to tweet more on match days. So if you see a random opinion and you like it, you can follow me if you want. And uh, yeah, you can just find me on the usual places. So that'd be good. Nice one. Freddie, mate, as always, it's been awesome having you on the show. Um, I think it's about an hour and 25 minutes long this time. Oh, so that'll be, that'll be fine. We'll see if people have actually managed to make it to the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Cheers for coming on the show. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Until next time, stay at Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!